Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Lombardi line live from our VEASAN studio at the South Point. Stormy Bonantoni and Wes Reynolds on the desk with you. Stephanie Kamershack at the controls and wanted to get into a little bit of Pac-12 talk. George Klyavkov made his debut as the new Pac-12 commissioner yesterday at Media Days and um, appeared to take advantage of the upheaval of the Big 12 in his introductory presser talking about the significant inbound interest that many schools had regarding the Pac-12 following, of course, the decision from Texas and Oklahoma. Um, he made it clear that he doesn't think that expansion is necessary, but I mean, like like all of the commissioners we keep hearing, everybody's open to Yeah, him. you got to keep up with the Joneses <laughs> here, as that's what it's going to become. And you mentioned George Klyovkov, of course, familiar here in Las Vegas, was the former president of entertainment and sports right here at MGM Resorts International. So uh, uh, he is on his first day of the job yesterday as Pac-12 commissioner. And look... Uh, I mean, you've, there's going to be dominoes falling if mm-hmm. Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC. So it's not only going to affect the Big 12 with the departure and maybe perhaps the end of that conference, but does the Pac-12 and the Big 10 kind of come in to pick the bones here? Or does the Big 12 say, okay, we can regroup, even though we're losing two flagship schools, where maybe we can make some ads here and kind of make it a go, kind of like the Big East did, albeit they just do it for basketball mm-hmm. and not necessarily for football. But what we were, we were talking about this a little bit uh, 
over the break here. The Pac-12 probably of the conferences may be the hardest to get a handle on because I don't think that there is a clear-cut favorite. Oregon, the shortest price in Oregon, always has the best recruiting class pretty much in the Pac-12, usually high there in the recruiting rankings from a talent standpoint. But this is a league where most of the teams only played four or five games. They got off to a late start. And, uh, you know, you just you never really had a playoff contender there because even if you would have had a team go 5-0 and or 6-0, and it would have been hard to put them in the playoff. Well, and like just in the conference standpoint, because of all of the COVID struggles they had, you mentioned like their schedule initially was supposed to have six games. Many of them only played four or five. Mm-hmm. And Washington, for example, a team that earned the right to play in the Pac-12 championship had game, to withdraw. didn't get to. Yeah. And Oregon slipped in. Yeah, and uh, and where I was going with this, because Oregon and USC are the two favorites in the divisions, uh, North and South, respectively. I do kind of like Washington a little bit, just because I think think that their schedule sets up a little bit better than mm-hmm. Oregon's. Uh, uh, and and also, they might have the chip on their shoulder that Oregon's getting all the hype, and Washington is down now, Jimmy Lake now in his second year, but they do got to go to Michigan, just like Oregon in the second week has to go to to Ohio State, so a test against a, a Big Ten, obviously a bigger one for Oregon, maybe than for Washington, because that spreads about you know one or two points, whereas Ohio State's like a 10-point favorite over Oregon, but Washington does does get the divisional games at home, including Oregon. And their two road trips against the South teams are Arizona and Colorado, which I think consensus are the two worst teams in the South division in the Pac-12. So I really like Washington's schedule. I think they're going to be able to rebound and prove that offense. They did finally find a quarterback in Dylan Morris because they had a pack of about three or four guys vying for that job. So it looks like Dylan Morris, the redshirt freshman, going to hang on to that job. Uh, They're trying to run a little bit more of a a pro style offense instead of like a spread offense. Uh, so they're going to have to rely on running the ball a little bit. The defensive numbers slipped, but they should come back to normal with eight starters back. Mm-hmm. So I like Washington there in the North. I want to get with Arizona state here in the South, but Arizona state now, of course, has the cloud of, of a little bit of scandal in terms of recruiting. So tough to get with them. I think everybody is kind of gravitating toward Utah on the bounce back because Kyle Whittingham widely seen as one of the better coaches in the conference uh, really gets the most out of his talent and of course they 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 have a new quarterback there in Utah that I don't think it really worked out as much as they thought that with Jake Bentley Mm -hmm. from South Carolina but now you have Charlie Brewer coming in from Baylor so they think that the quarterback play should improve Whittingham uh, usually a bet on coach usually can run the ball defend USC has the most talent but there's always that cloud of like well Clay Helton's never really gotten it done to the level we expect here in Southern California. I feel so bad for the way that yeah. SEC fans treat poor Clay Helton. Yeah, he, they just, he, he's the whipping boy out there because the expectations, uh, you know, when Pete Carroll was there and kind of revitalized that Trojan program years ago, and they just haven't gotten there, but it's like USC's always got players, so they should be great, and then they kind of disappoint. Arizona State, I think, is my biggest conundrum, though, of the entire league. Because I think they have potential. Yep. No question, I am with you there. As we are here on the Lombardi line, continuing hour two, just wrapping up a conversation on the Pac-12 in college football, but it's time to welcome in our guy, Jonathan Von Tobel, VEASAN senior NBA expert, because the NBA draft, of course, is coming up tomorrow. Before we get to the draft talk, though, JVT, uh, USA basketball finally gets a win yesterday. What's your reaction to the win and obviously covering a huge number? 
Yeah, look, the the um, the Iran team is a little overmatched. They don't have a single NBA player on that roster, anybody that would sniff the association. It's a matchup that the points were dictated there was going to be a pretty big gap, and then there was. You know, the the Americans dipped into the bench pretty early, and it didn't really matter. So I think it's it thinks for me it's a thing where you kind of get one done, right? You feel pretty good. You get to work on some stuff. You get to run some stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot of merit to it just given the gap between the two teams. But they get a win. Uh, all they got to do is beat the Czech Republic coming up here in a day who uh, got handled by the French earlier this morning and they're on into the knockout stages so I've been pretty clear right I think I told you when we were talking about this when we were together on the nightcap this is going to be a team that gets better as the tournament goes along and the Czech Republic's going to be a nice little test they got off to a good start against the French before they pulled away and uh, we will see them in the knockout stage competing for a gold medal. John, uh, no real adjustment, obviously, beating the worst team of, of all the 12 teams here in the Olympic Games, that being the Iranians. So still around 250, kind of what I'm seeing on the minus side for Team USA. If you are going to get involved, do you get involved right now at this standpoint? Because I got to think, like you said, this team potentially uh, and more than likely is going to get better. Is this the, spo- the spot where you really jump in on Team USA at this standpoint? Yeah. It is, Wes, and I think I haven't checked it, so there were some $2 prices out there still on the Americans to win gold, and if that is the case, that is that is more than a value, I think, on USA. Remember, this is a team that was minus 550 in the month leading up to the Olympics, of course, and the friendlies. They lose a couple of friendlies. The sky is falling. Chicken little, right? Everything's over, uh, but this is a team that right, we just put together. We saw put together a couple of weeks ago, so I would say yes. You know, a team that was minus 550 in that range to win gold, and the only thing that has changed is the perception of of the team, right? You lose Bradley Beal, but Bradley Beal is not worth on this team move, removing $3 from a price tag uh, when they were such overwhelming favorites. So, they, you know, maybe the 550 was high, but if you're talking to the range of $2 right now on the Americans, I would say absolutely. And you know what I find interesting, Wes, and I brought this up to Mitch when I was filling in on Father Monday yesterday, which is the loss to the French, we see the overreaction to where the market moves to the $2 price tag, right? Well, the loss to the French doesn't really affect the like the, the probability of them winning this tournament, because all they got to do is finish with in the top two, they make it to the knockout stage and there's a redraw. So it doesn't affect seeding. It doesn't mean that their path is going to get any harder. So I found it pretty intriguing that you saw that adjustment after the loss to a really good French team, despite the fact that it doesn't really change their path toward a gold medal. So I think there's some value there if you're getting that $2 range on the Americans for sure. John, Group C is going to go tonight and into the overnight tomorrow morning. So we'll, we've they haven't played two games in that group yet. So that'll finalize at least from that standpoint. But who have you seen so far like who is the impressive team that team that i think has impressed you the most in terms of how they played through a couple games in this tournament yeah, I, I think so. You know, I have that 21 ticket on the Australians to win the gold medal, uh, and they have won their first two games. But I think West, actually, it's got to be the French team we were talking about, mm-hmm. right? You know, you, you look at that game against the USA, they go on that run in the third quarter. Actually, it was the whole quarter, so I guess we'll call it a run. But it was 25 to 11, in which they outscored Team USA. They have multiple shooters on this roster. I think, and I've told you before, they have the potential to be the best defensive team in this tournament. I don't know how good they'll be offensively. I think they have a weakness at point guard. But outside of that, this is a legitimately good team. And then you saw today, the Czech Republic gets off to a really good start. They shoot 8 of 10 to start that game, and yet the French are there the whole time within two points. The shooting comes down for the Czech Republic. What happens? They open up about an 18-point lead, and they cruise to a victory over the Czech. So I do think that the French, out of all the teams that I've been able to watch closely, the French would be at the top of the list because I thought coming into this, like before the tournament started, if there was one piece of value that was left on the board, it was going to be that French team that I think should have been a little bit ahead of Slovenia, and Slovenia is not going to be there because 
because, of course, Luka Doncic is favorite. It's going to be a public team. But I think the French team is the one I'm the most impressed with at this point right now. And that was a team where you mentioned Chicken Little earlier. You know, the sky is falling, but they did win bronze in the world championships. And like you mm-hmm. said, they were better on, on the surface than you might think, just given what you expect from the U.S. team regularly. Want to shift gears, though, to the NBA draft because obviously that is coming up on deck tomorrow. Uh, the Detroit Pistons have the first overall pick, and I think everybody's expecting it to be Cade Cunningham. But we saw Adrian Wojnarowski two days ago report that in Detroit in, uh, internal meetings, they were revolving around three players. They hadn't fully committed to, to <laughs> Cunningham. Is that just them not wanting to show their cards because they don't have to? Or what was your perspective on that? Yeah, stop. Like, that's not going to happen. Right? <laughs> like, so, like, we get reports. So not only that, Stormy, but then think about this. This is why it just really makes sense, right? So you get that report. Mark Stein added to it as well, said he had one source, and specifically one, that was insistent that Jalen Green maybe could take that top spot, right? Um, but here's the thing. We get the other report that says that the Oklahoma City Thunder offered Shea Gilgis Alexander the sixth overall pick. The Pistons said no. We get one report that says the Houston Rockets have offered to move up to number one. So if you're cooling on Kate Cunningham, you've turned down a substantial offer. And the Houston Rockets, right, let's say you want Jalen Green if you're the Detroit Pistons. Well, the Rockets are trying to move up to get Kate Cunningham. So if you don't want Kate Cunningham and you want Jalen Green, mm-hmm. you can add assets and then get your guy at number two. Why don't you make that deal? At the end of the day, they're drafting Kate Cunningham. We see this all the time with the draft. It's smoke screens, whatever you want to call it. He's a minus 8,000 favorite for a reason to go with the first overall pick, and it's going to be over at the Motor City in which he resides. So I don't have any worry that Kate Cunningham's not going number one. John, and then we move to number two. It seems like not quite the favorite Cunningham is to go to Detroit at number one, but it seems like Jalen Green, it's going to be number two for Houston. I was kind of trying to maybe sell Evan Mobley for that spot, but now it just kind of doesn't make any sense with Chris Christian Wood, obviously there. Houston needing some guards from that standpoint. John Wall and Eric Gordon not getting any younger at this time of uh, their career. But number three is where it maybe can kind of get interesting here. Do you think it's going to be the consensus, what I think the market thinks, Cunningham, Green, Mobley, and Suggs? Or do you think we start to see a little bit of maneuvering on the draft board at number three? No, I, I don't think that I don't think things start shaking up until number five. West. Okay. You know, I've been over the last couple of days. I've been pretty locked into the fact that one, two, three, and four are going to be Cunningham, Green, Mobley, and Suggs. I mean, everything points in those directions. We have reports on all four picks, right? We have reports that uh, when you look at, the, for example, team. Like, let's go back to Kate Cunningham and the Pistons. The Pistons haven't even been able to work out uh, Green or Mobley, right? Like you look at across the board. Or excuse me, the, the 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 Rockets haven't been able to work out Mobley or Suggs, right? So Green's locked in to number two. You look at number three. Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that the league is looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, assuming that Evan Mobley is going to be the selection. You look at number four, overwhelmingly was the word that Jonathan Gavoni used in his latest mock draft to discuss uh, Jalen Suggs to go with the fourth overall pick with the Toronto Raptors. So I think one through four, we know what we're getting. And now it's about picks five and on and what's going to happen there. Because, you know, you and I have talked about this, Wes. Orlando seems kind of tied in to Scotty Barnes. And what I find fascinating is, well, Scotty Barnes is a really solid player. I kind of want to find an opportunity to play against it only because if you look at Orlando, this is a team that was the second last team in terms of defensive efficiency. This is a team that was 27th in terms of three-point shooting. They have Jonathan Isaac coming back, a six foot nine switchable forward who can't really shoot the ball very well. Does that sound familiar? Because that's Scotty Barnes. Like right. the Orlando Magic. <laughs> 
the Orlando Magic are like filled with these guys that are like prototype players that are similar to Scotty Barnes, and they feel like they need more they need more help in the backcourt. And a guy like a Jonathan Kaminga type fits a little bit more. A book night, for example, right? He fits a little bit more with the Orlando Magic than a guy like Scotty Barnes would. So it's not anything against Scotty Barnes. It's more about the fact that I just don't get it from a roster perspective why he would be going to Orlando. But this is the draft. So everything that you bet on is informationally based. It's why odds makers don't like putting up odds very far out because you can get information, you can find an edge. I have not found a single report, not a word, about anything other than Scotty Barnes for the Orlando Magic. So while it doesn't make sense to me and I want to find a way to play against it, I've found nothing to support my argument other than the fact that if you look at some of the numbers of the way this roster is constructed, I just don't think it fits. And they do have uh, two uh, picks there in the first round, Orlando yep. at five and eight. So, you know, and you make sense, JVT, when you talk about Barnes. Look, Florida State, these af- these athletes are always like shiny toys. We saw Patrick Williams went to number four with Chicago last year. But when I look at guys, and you mentioned Kaminga, one guy that I bet on the under in terms of his uh, position prop with Moses Moody out of Arkansas. And I think now you're starting to see him move up the lottery board a little bit. Yeah, you are. And so this is that. And I think Moses Moody's a pretty interesting guy, too, because if you look at anything in terms of odds, if you look at anything in terms of what you're looking at from a mock draft perspective, all of these other things, Moses Moody has been, as you said, kind of rising, right, to, to use for another term. But at the end of the day, I can't find a single tangible report that ties him to any team inside of 11, right? Like, all of it is, is just mock draft and speculation. Hey, Moody fits from a game perspective here. You know, 3 and D guy that would fit with a guy like the Golden State Warriors, all of those things. And while they're roster matches, again, in an event like this, you at least want information to back up your play. And so while I do think he would probably go within the top 11, it is interesting that his odds have moved the way that they have, and yet usually we'll see that coinciding with some sort of information, right, that he's going to go one place or another. It really is just mock drafts that say he's a good fit here as opposed to I am hearing that he is going to be at a selection here. And to me, that's a key difference when you're handicapping the NBA. But I, I would agree with that. I like Moody as a player. 3 and D guys, I think you see with like guys like Sadiq Bey, who was a first-round pick for Detroit last year. Uh, those are going to be in value in today's NBA, and I think he's going to find himself within the top 11. Jonathan Von Tobel joining us here on the Lombardi line, and in addition to all of your NBA coverage, you also have been busy with the NFL betting guide, and you wrote up yeah. the AFC East and the AFC North previews. So I guess, what's the big thing that we should be looking for when we're betting those those divisions? So I think I'll start with the AFC East story because I so I go in with my like my preconceived notions about teams right, but I'm I'm always open to change, especially as I research a lot of this uh, a lot of these teams right. Always open to be wrong about things because that's how you find out uh, and find some edges right. And one of the things that I come kind of come around on and I kind of hate it is that I don't think the Patriots are going to be that bad. Like right. if you looked at some of the numbers in terms of their offensive line a year ago, it was actually one quietly one of the best run blocking offensive lines in the National Football League. They have improved. Moved a little bit, not so much a wide receiver. I think Nelson Aguilar, if you're coming in, he's your best wide receiver. That's kind of a problem. But they're going back to that two tight ends that John Smith and Hunter Henry are as good of a tight end duo as you're going to find. They spent money at that position, especially if Hunter Henry is going to be healthy. So it depends on Kim Newton getting a little bit better in terms of weapons. And we saw his time in Carolina, right? He thrived with Greg Olson as his primary pass catching target. He does a great job with good pass catching tight ends. And he has that now with the New England Patriots. He has a great solid running game that he's going to have there too. And then in the other end of it, you get Dante Hightower coming back. You get a defense in which they spent money on, right? Guys like Kyle Van Noy are back in the fold to rush the pass, or Patrick Chung in the defensive backfield. 
I hate to say it, but the one team I've come around on a little bit more as I have studied them, at least of those two divisions, is going to be the New England Patriots. And you can find small plus prices on them to be a playoff team. I don't know if they're going to win that division. I still think that's Buffalo's, and rightfully so. But if we're talking about a Patriot team that is going to push for like nine or ten wins, go nine and eight, right, or ten and seven, I think they're going to be pushing for a playoff spot. Yeah, John, I'm with you, and I've kind of come around on the Patriots too because you knew the defense was going to be good. They did spend a lot of money on offense in the offseason to try to uh, you know, help Cam Newton out. And speaking of trying to help a quarterback out, that being the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa is now his job, even though Jacoby Brissett is brought in as a backup. But you look at what Miami did. They are trying to put as many weapons around this guy, this second-year quarterback, as they can. Devontae Parker is back. They get Will Fuller from the Houston Texans. They draft Jalen Waddle in the first round out of Alabama. So uh, Lynn Bowden, a former Raider, also now moved to receiver here in Miami. Jakeem Grant, a veteran guy. So they're trying to do it with Tua here. Are you a believer or a disbeliever in Tua based on what you've seen so far? So I, I would say this, Wes, like I never want to punt on a guy that is only a year and not even a whole year mm-hmm. into his career. But having said that, you know, I talked about this with Mitch today. It's funny, like I, my eyes it just didn't like what I saw, right? Like it just, it, it's, if you look at some of the numbers in terms of the grading for pro football focus, all of those things, it's just, I, I saw a guy who wasn't pressing the ball downfield, who at times looked a little out of it. Some of his grades in terms of PFF and some of those individual games were absolutely awful, right? And I just, I, I get putting weapons around him, but it did worry me just watching him with my eyes. But again, I'm, I'm open to being wrong about this. I'm open to the fact that if they open this offense a little bit more, give him the keys to the car, that this is going to be an offense that thrives. Because you did see a lot of stuff at Alabama. I'll tell you that my problem with Miami, I wonder a couple of things. One, we have this now going on with Xavier Howard. Is he going to be on the team by the time the league starts uh, regular season play? But I just don't know where they're getting consistent pass rushing from. And I think that's going to be my worry here. Because Kyle Van Noy wasn't impactful, but he was a pass rusher and he's not going to be there anymore. And I wonder if this defense, I like their coverage unit, but again, if Howard's not going to be there and they lack a pass cover, or excuse me, a pass rusher, I just don't know how good this defense is going to be. Remember, this was a very opportunistic defense last year, forcing turnovers left and right, and if that's not going to happen again, then what happens to this defense as a whole in terms of how effective they can be? The Jets also firmly at the bottom of that division, and we saw some news earlier today that Zach Wilson, rookie quarterback, hasn't signed his deal yet. He's not out there at camp. Just what was your take on that situation and the outlook for the Jets early on? Yeah, it seems like I think with the the contract really storming that they're going to be fine. Right? Like, we get this language hold up all the time. I do think it's a little weird that we have had this in the past with the New York Jets in terms of getting rookie quarterbacks under contract uh, on time for camp. But regardless, I think he's going to be there. And I don't hate everything that the Jets bring to the table. In fact, one of the things that I kept pounding the table about them last year was the fact that defensively they're not terrible. Like that front seven is actually legitimately solid. And so if you look at it from the perspective of uh, Robert Sala being able to lead this defense and improving it from his perspective, the fact that this offense does have some talent on it, and by the way, we talk about guys with weapons. Uh, I think Zach Wilson's going to have a couple, especially in that wide receiver core. We did have some guys break out last year, so if health maintains itself for the Jets, I think they're going to be a little bit better than people expect them to be, but it's also on Wilson developing as a quarterback. Out of all of the rookies, I just don't know what to expect from Zach Wilson personally, so it all rests on the shoulders of whether or not he's going to be a viable option for them. Yeah, I know there's a lot of belief in him coming out of BYU last yeah. year, but also coming out of BYU you and the schedule that they had how much yep. does that translate to the NHL game thank you uh, to the NFL game rather oh my ah. gosh I did too much hockey you never huh? get an off season anymore <laughs> stormy with hockey JVT thank you so much for coming on with us we appreciate you pal 
See you later. Thanks, John. That's Jonathan Von Tobel, VEASAN senior NBA expert. You can give him a follow at me, JVT. I got to get my life together. <laughs> what now is college that? football is going to be starting. Yes. Uh, a woman for all seasons here We're with sports. On. By the way, though, with the NHL, Alec Martinez officially signed a three-year deal with your Vegas Golden Knights earlier today. 5.25 mil a year. We'll be back on the Lombardi line with more on the other side of this break. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.
Welcome back into the Lombardi line on a Wednesday, live from our VEASAN studio at the South Point. Stormy Bonantoni and Wes Reynolds with you. Stephanie Kamershack on the controls. And Stephanie actually brought to our attention this morning that um, as the show, as always, is presented by BetMGM, that Marshawn Lynch has become a BetMGM brand ambassador. Like, how are we going to work in that I'm just here so I don't get fined thing from a betting perspective? Like, what can we do with that? Well, that's why I'm here. I'm I'm here so uh, <laughs> I, I do get a fine paid to me, that being my paycheck. But uh, yeah, Marshawn Lynch is our brand ambassador. As we now get more brand ambassadors from the NFL, Stormy, the NFL can, I think, examine this, uh, re-examine, I should say, this uh, anti-sports betting stance. And by the way, uh, the New Orleans Saints uh, uh, renamed their uh, stadium and the, the Superdome after a, uh, a competitor of BetMGM, so you could find out who that is. But, uh, you know, the line, the walls are being broken mm-hmm. down here. And I think, you know, the National Football League should just go ahead and kind of embrace it at this standpoint. Love it. Totally agree. And I mean, what a perfect segue to our topic here with the New Orleans Saints. They've had a busy past couple of days with some big news coming in the form of Michael Thomas and his injury. We hear that the injury is going to sideline Thomas for a large chunk of the season, putting them in a really tough spot, obviously, at the wide receiver position. But um, it was announced on Tuesday afternoon that they were officially putting him on the reserve pup list. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously a blow for New Orleans because you thought, okay, Michael Thomas, this is going to be kind of the resurgent year because I think what we saw last year, number one, he did have some uh, disciplinary issues with the team, so that uh, threw his season a little out of whack, and also the fact that you had a quarterback over 40 and Drew Brees, the mind was still there and the accuracy was still there, but the arm strength wasn't there, and when you're the home run hitter at receiver and you need a quarterback to get the ball down the field to you, and Drew Brees wasn't able to do so you got two guys now and at least throw the deep ball being Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston and I do think Jameis Winston he's the guy that I think really should start I know that was a question I had for I you. know Sean Payton wants to make this Taysom Hill thing work because coaches are very stubborn people as you know so they don't want to you know like Jonathan Von Tobel last segment said I'm willing to be wrong here coaches aren't willing to be wrong they want to be right and they don't want to be questioned so they're trying to pigeonhole Taysom Hill into this role and certainly there's like a package for him, but I just don't believe that this is a guy that's a 16-week-a-year, 17-game-a-year type of quarterback. So I think you have to go with Jameis Winston and just hope that he's evolved a little bit where he's not turning the ball over. Because you know the guy's got a strong arm. You know the guy's got ability and can make big-time throws and make big-time plays. But you know he can also make big-time plays going back the other way for the other team with the interceptions and the ball security issues. So that's got to be what they change here from this standpoint. And I'm kind of, you know, I was a little higher on the Saints, and then I became a little lower on the Saints. We were uh, discussing with our producer, Stephanie, over the break. She's like, not high on this team at all, and I can certainly, she's saying six wins. Wow. Uh, I could certainly understand (laughs) why you could be a little lukewarm on these guys, because they do have to replace a couple defensive starters, but I'm kind of in neutral on them, where it's like, I don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth. But I, but they obviously have some retooling to do. And usually, you know, there's kind of that random season where it's like, okay, we got to, you know, reshuffle the deck chairs a little bit. And we got to take a step back from being the usual conference NFC contender that we usually are. Now, they still have weapons. They're still going to be able to score points no matter who's at quarterback. They have a good running game with Kamara and Murray and guys that can catch the ball out of the backfield. I still think they have a very good offensive line. Defensively is what carried the team last year but now they have to replace a couple starters so I don't know if I'm quite at, at down at six wins but I'm 
certainly not at 11 or 12 wins on these guys, which is why you see that win total at nine. Yeah, that's that's why they place it where they place it, right? Yeah. Um, and in terms of the odds to take that first snap at quarterback, it seems like the, the books are right in line with you. Jameis Winston, minus 275, the favorite, Taysom Hill, plus 180. And then you obviously see Ian Book and, you know, Trevor Simeon below that. But I am I am curious, though, where the Saints will place, particularly in what is a, an interesting NFC South mm-hmm. this year. Obviously, the yeah. Bucs are leading the way there, but... Carolina's going to be better, I think. Carolina could be sneaky, I think. And is Atlanta going to be better? Arthur Smith, now the new head coach uh, down there. So uh, Matt Ryan, look, Matt Ryan, what we saw last year, sometimes he looks like, oh, that's what the MVP was a few years ago. And then sometimes he looks like he's showing his age. So offensively, I think Atlanta will still put up numbers, but the problem is obviously their defense needs Mm -hmm. to take a little bit of a step up. But uh, Carolina, I think, is the team a little bit down the board that I do like for a season win totals on the over so uh, in terms of New Orleans as a hold for me now we're playing a game of smash it or trash it and our producer Stephanie is saying (laughs) trash it with the New Orleans Saints this year in 2021 not nice Stephanie words hurt Um, (laughs) when we come back on the other side of the break Lufa Nakaro joins us point spread weekly contributor we're talking UFC stay with us on the Lombardi line The VEASAN football betting guides are coming soon, and there's no better way to prepare for the college and pro football seasons. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Each guide, only 20 bucks, and discounts are available when you buy both. Now's the time to reserve your copy or sign up for VEASAN All Access and get everything we offer for the entire football season. Sign up now at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Welcoming you back into the Lombardi line presented by Bet MGM live from our VEASAN studio at the South Point. Wes Reynolds and Stormy Bonantoni here on the desk as we welcome in our guy Lou Finacaro, Point Spread Weekly contributor. And we're talking all things UFC this morning. Obviously the big fight night coming up with Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland in the middleweight. And there's a lot of fights on this card. So where do we start, Lou? Well, we should probably start with the fact, and uh, first of all, Wes and Stormy, thanks for letting me appear with you this morning. Uh, the card is a little bit haphazard, a lot of unusual matchups, and from uh, 15 starting matches, we're, we're now down to about 12, uh, but that's okay. There's still a handful in there that we can target, and if we start low in the lower sections of the card, uh, this starts at 3 o'clock. Pacific time. Uh, the first fight that we'll talk about is a uh, bantamweight fight, 135 pound fighters, Ronnie Lawrence against Trevin Jones. Uh, Jones is the faster, more skilled fighter with a little bit more experience, but he's risking himself to some degree because Lawrence comes in with a lot of hype. He's less experienced. He's a little more deliberate in his fighting approach, maybe not as slick and quick, but a little more deliberate and powerful. Uh, 
if Jones can keep this thing on the outside and utilize his quickness, he'll have advantage. He's a slight favorite. However, I think Lawrence is going to be a little bit too much too soon for Jones, and I like Lawrence to eventually slow Jones down and get to him. Whether he can finish him or not, I'm not so sure, but I do like Ronnie Lawrence, who opened minus 200, has been bet down to current 145 uh, at Circa or other places where you shop, and I think that's a good value position on Lawrence. Lou, uh, sticking with the prelims here, and it's a featherweight bout. Kai Kamaka, a very small favorite, the fighting Hawaiian who now lives right here in Las Vegas. Uh, just 26 years of age, but has lost two straight fights here in the UFA to Jonathan Pierce and to TJ Brown. Now he's getting an old veteran in uh, uh, Danny Chavez, the Colombian warrior at age 34. And uh, Chavez also lost his fight last time out against Jared Gordon, had that canceled out uh, with Duhu Choi. So now a change in fight plans, as you mentioned. These fight cards always subject to change. That's what they always say here, the old phrase, and this obviously a change here. Kamaka, a very small favorite over Chavez, uh, and I didn't really know where to go with this fight. It almost seems like, okay, we got a young guy that we like. We want to get him a win here against maybe an older fighter with Kamaka over Chavez. What say you? Yeah, that that could well be. Kamaka uh, surely should. He's he's in need of fight improvement, Mm -hmm. but he's going to get that hanging and training at Extreme Couture, which is what he's done. Uh, He takes this fight on short notice, and I think that's the situation for this fight. Uh, Donnie Chavez, yeah, 34 years old, he's older, but this is his last run. This is his last hurrah, if you will, in the UFC. Uh, In interviews this week, I've discovered that he thought, and others thought with him, he was overtraining. He has a good camp in Florida. I'm going to use the desperation of Chavez to remain in the UFC as a great focal point for him. And I'm going to handicap that Kamaka on short notice is in a bad situation. And for that reason, uh, Danny Chavez at plus 105 or plus 100 would be the way I'm going to go on this fight, Wes. Of course, the big bout of the night on the main card is going to be Hall and Strickland, uh, two top 15 middleweights looking to take another step forward in their pursuit of a championship. Uh, Is there... Is, are you surprised at all just where the money seems to be going on that fight? Well, actually, Stormy, we, we get an opening of about 175 on Strickland, and I'm still seeing him maybe up as high as 2, 210, and, and maybe so a little surprised that the Strickland money's come in. I know why. At least my theory is that uh, Strickland has got great momentum since he moved to 185 from 170. He's a brash talking irritator, somewhat like Colby Covington, and his opponent Hall has been in with uh, better middleweights, elite middleweights throughout his career. He's a legitimate middleweight himself, and though he'll own a slight reach advantage, uh, Strickland will be a little bit taller, so these men are somewhat evenly matched. In past fights, it's been Hall's mentality that people have questioned. He seems to not want to get bullied, and he's in with a poop-talking bully boy (laughs) in Strickland that's going to try and push him around and back him up. I think Hall's move to uh, Fortis MMA has been a good move for him, and right now I'm leaning a little bit to the dog in this situation. I want to be patient. I want to watch the weigh-in process a little bit, see how these guys 
guys look. I also think this fight could fall under three and a half rounds. And Lou, I also wanted to ask you about this line move on this main event, which I kind find it kind of found fascinating. It seems like the move in part, at least against Uriah Hall, because we know the circumstances of his last fight in Jacksonville earlier this year became the first fighter in UFC history to win a fight without throwing a single strike. Of course, Chris Weidman. Uh, sorry, Stormy, if you're going to get queasy here. I know we brought Come one on, of these up yesterday. These. but uh, I can't do it. Obviously a leg injury for uh, Chris Weidman on that leg kick, and that's what stopped the fight. So it's almost like Uriah Hall doesn't get credit for that win uh, and then that fight. So it's almost like stricken from the record, even though it's an official win. But from the betters, they're not giving him credit. And then his last fight before that Weidman fight was Anderson Silva, who obviously passed his prime from an MMA perspective. So is that why you think the line is kind of moving here to Strickland where it's like Hall's just not getting the credit here. Yes, I think it's part of that. I think it's part that Strickland is such a aggressive, belligerent rear end. And I think it's that Hall has had past troubles with bullies. That said, someday Hall's going to have to face that. And this is a good situation for him to perhaps face that and uh, we'll see just how powerful and just how legit Strickland is in the middleweight division when he faces a true middleweight of legitimate top 15 uh, credibility. Hey Lou, thanks so much for coming on with us and I really like your descriptive terms as well. Kicked in the rear end. Good stuff. Thank you, Lou. I'm, I'm trying to tone it down a little bit because it's a family It's show, a family so program. It is the family so hour, Lou. Thanks so much for making time for me today. Absolutely. Yep, that is Lou Finicaro. You can give him a follow at Gamblou, so at G-A-M-B-L-O-U. Stick with us here on the Lombardi Line because when we come back, we're going to wrap things up with Josh Applebaum and his market insights. Don't go anywhere. This is VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. With football season just around the corner, it's time to get into BetMGM Sports Nevada, the premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted on specials, and a lot more. So download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID. Open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 20 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So welcome back into the Marty Line presented by BetMGM. Stormy Bonantoni and Wes Reynolds with you here. And while we're just talking about um, football and, you know, we got into UFC, we've covered so many things today. We want to dive more into baseball with Josh Applebaum, who joins us now from, uh, listen, Josh. <laughs> listen, I got to tell you, I was watching all of the games that you gave us plays on yesterday, and you did so good. Two for three. The Cubbies let us down, but it made Wes Reynolds happy that the Reds got a win. So I'm really proud of you. Good job yesterday. I appreciate it, Stormy. You're, you're my hype, hype woman, hype man. I need this. This is good. I think the thing with baseball guys, too, is like, you know, baseball can be very volatile. You know, you got to have mental toughness. Wes knows this. Uh, there's so many ups and downs. It's such a long season that uh, you're going to have good nights, bad nights. The whole key to me with baseball is sticking with it, sticking the model, sticking the blueprint. Perfect example last night, Detroit Tigers. The Tigers were a huge dog yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, and they were down 5-1 to one in the ninth. They had a sharp move, like plus 190 down to plus 170. Grand slam by Eric Costa. Take that thing to X. Extras, they win in extras. So baseball is just, it's the ultimate grinder sport. You got to stick with it. To me, that's the biggest uh, key with baseball. It's such a long season. But uh, guys, I have a ton of baseball for you today. So Let's I'll just it. start rattling. Let's do it, Stormy. So first one here, uh, Houston and Seattle. This is coming up uh, 3:40 Eastern Time game. Good thing today is we got a lot of day sweats, which should make the which should make your work day hopefully a little bit easier. Don't get in trouble in your cubicle when you're tracking these games, though, <laughs> at work. But uh, I'm looking at Seattle here, guys. You know we've seen uh, the rubber match here. You saw the uh, the Mariners win 11-8 as a big plus 150 dog in the opener yesterday. Houston bounced back 8-6, almost blew it there, but won as a minus 165 favorite. But today, guys, I'm looking at Seattle with a pretty sharp line move. It's Kachu. Going going up against Odorizzi. Kajuki's been pretty good this year. Uh, remember, he was a, a big, uh, big kind of big money uh, free agent here from Japan. Lefty, he's got a 3.87 ERA. Odorizzi got knocked around quite a bit early. He's bounced back a bit. 
But really, guys, it looks like a lot of smart money is coming on Seattle because we saw this thing open Houston around, I think they were like a minus 130 favorite on the road. Everyone's taking Houston saying, hey, better record. They got to win today. But the Astros are all the way down to around minus 110. We've seen almost, you know, 20 cents team here to Seattle at home. One thing in baseball this year uh, is these divisional dogs and contrarian dogs, but also home dogs. If you're at home, you got the crowd behind you. You're getting plus money. This is the beauty of baseball, guys. These home dogs are only 243 and 281. Your win rate is only 46%. However, because you're getting these plus money payouts, you're up almost 26 units. $100 guy or girl will be up uh, $2,600 betting these home dogs. Seattle good at home, 44 and 35. Also, uh, also good as a dog, uh, as well as good at home, 31 and 21. So uh, I'm looking at Seattle here, guys. Big move to the Mariners. I think this could be a sharp play for you. We had a real anomaly last night in this game, too. Joe Smith on the very same day was traded from the Houston Astros, gets to pitch against his old team mm-hmm. on the same day. Uh, one scoreless inning for Joe Smith in relief of the Mariners, who did lose last night. Josh, let's stick in the AL West. Oakland A's, San Diego Padres tonight, Manar this afternoon, rather, Manaya against Blake Snell. Blake Snell for San Diego has been better at home. The home and away splits are very well defined with this guy. But Sean Manaya taking the money here with Oakland this afternoon as the uh, both of these teams probably going to make some moves before the deadline. Andrew Chafin coming in for the A's bullpen. They got him from the Cubs a couple nights ago. San Diego probably could use some bullpen help as well because they're about the most taxed bullpen in the league. But Oakland getting the money here in this afternoon matchup. Yeah, you're exactly uh, right, Wes. And also, you know, keep an eye on these home road splits. You mentioned a great point. Snell, much better at home than on the road. On the road, uh, I think his ERA is like 10, or at least it was. That was kind of an auto bet for wise guys betting against Snell on the road. But I'm looking at Oakland today. You know, one, number one, uh, this to me, so we saw the Padres 7-4 last night, minus 160. Padres are a big public team. Great, exciting team. Get a lot of action each day. Uh, but that sometimes tends for them to be overvalued. And I think this is a spot where you can target the Oakland A's as a sharp reverse line move. This open San Diego right minus 145 at home. They're getting the majority of the action here. However, this line is really dipped here to the Oakland A's. The A's have gone from around plus 130-ish down to around plus 118. Uh, one thing we have noticed here uh, is interleague line moves. When you're in these interleague matchups, uh, we've seen a, a good trend here toward wherever the line goes. Typically, that's been the winning side overall. Interleague line moves so far this year, 97 and 81, 55%. So it's not setting the world on fire, but these line moves have been pretty predictive overall in interleague play. Uh, also, a couple things. Oakland mashes lefties. One of the best teams against lefties this year. They're 24 and 15. You're going up against Snell, who's been so-so this year. You know, his ERA is around five. Uh, they could get to him early. And then also, guys, a little X factor here. Ryan Blakeney. He's the home plate ump here. He's been really good to road teams uh, historically. He's about 54% to the road team. So maybe he doesn't want that uh, home crowd to think he's just, you know, doing what they want. He kind of squeezes the home team a bit. Add it all up. Good move to Oakland here. I'd be looking at the A's with some plus money. There you go. We'll see what the A's are able to do in a bounce back spot after the 7-1 loss to the Padres yesterday. And Josh, you know, we talked about how you like home dogs in baseball about Seattle, but you also said that yesterday about the Giants. You took the Moneyline Giants yesterday, had to sweat out a one-run game against the Dodgers, but ultimately got that win. Where are you in Dodgers-Giants today? Yeah, Stormy, I'm going back to the wall of the Giants. And by the way, we got to buy Cody Bellinger a beer because did you see he had that throwing air? He airmailed it. That was He's the winner. He's been playing I mean. rough lately. Yeah. He has had very much a down year as Bellinger. 
He really has, and he's been injured, and of course that error, that's what you need. And again, that's baseball. These are the breaks you need to catch some of these plays here and there, but I'm going back to the well with the Giants, guys. This is a kind of a gambler's fallacy play for me. Big majority of bets are on the Dodgers. They're a great team. They're defending champs. Anytime they take the field, they're going to be a big public wager. However, especially after a loss, they got to bounce back and win. However, uh, lines moving to the G-men. I like the G-men here to win again, uh, just in terms of the line move. You know, open around Dodgers minus 140, minus 135, They've been bet down to around minus 125. Uh, so you're seeing a good about 10 cent move, 15 cent move here to the G-Men. It's going to be a great pitching matchup. Walker Bueller, uh, D. Sclafani, both double-digit winners so far, good ERAs. Uh, so the total there is 7.5, kind of right on the number, uh, but a little juice to the under. Maybe we get another low-scoring game in this one. But with San Fran, move to the Giants. They've been good as a dog, 24-17. and 17. They've been good against righties, 45-24. and 24. They've been good at home, 32-15. and 15. So if it ain't broke don't fix it guys i'm gonna sweat the g-men once again tonight there is a parade going on in the bronx area of new york city today because the yankees bullpen did not blow a save last night a roll this chapman got it done zach Britton set him up so uh yankees do get a win now five games over 500 we'll see what they do in the next two days for the deadline uh seems like they're kind of in a purgatory right now whether they should buy or whether they should sell but nevertheless they did get a win in tampa last night josh nestor cortez going to go for the pinstripers today against michael walker in tampa bay yankees look like they're getting a little bit of a buy at least in the overnight from the market standpoint they did just get judge and your shallow back a couple games ago from COVID 19 protocol so uh yankees were a dollar 30 in the overnight now i'm seeing them about cut in half to about a dollar 15 pretty much market consensus yeah, Wes, you're spot on. Sharp move to the Yankees here. You know, this is another kind of gambler's fallacy play where Tampa Bay is great. They lose last night. This is something you're always going to see from the public. Just grab that home favorite again uh, because they, they got to win the next game. But I think if you think through betting, that if you think of betting that way, you're going to fall into a lot of traps. Just take each game individually. What you're seeing here can create some buy low spots. But uh, Yankees, to me, sharp play, guys. Uh, you know, Wes, you hit the nail on the head. They're getting healthier. They get Judge back. They get Gio Urshela back. Uh, tonight, I think the matchup here, favors the Yankees once again and open Tampa Bay around minus 140 at home. They're down to minus 125. We've seen this move toward the Yankees pretty much as soon as this thing opened last night. Sharps kept grabbing the Yankees with that plus money, plus 130-ish, all the way down to plus 115 here. Uh, some matches for me, road division dog. These uh, these divisional matchups, you know, built-in familiarity, levels the playing field, benefits the dog here. Uh, and then also, uh, keep an eye on the over, guys. I like to bet a lot of uh, a lot of unders in domes and closed-roof stadiums. The ball doesn't travel. Perfect conditions for the pitcher and the fielders. However, this isn't a classic trap under tonight. It looks like there's some over money. It was eight and a half, juiced up over minus 120. I don't. This may get to may get to nine. The eight and a half could be critical. I think the play is Waka uh, Stormy. Waka has uh, been getting knocked around here a bit. ERA around five. I'd look at the Yankees plus money and lean to the over. All right, there we go. And we got a hefty MLB slate today, so let's see if we can get one more from you, Josh. Uh, Nationals at the Phillies, Patrick Corbin and Zach Willer on the mound. What's the play in this one? Yeah, I'm looking at the Philly Stormy. It's a big number. It gives you heartburn. But what I always preface this by saying is I'm always a fan of betting to risk, not betting to win. So if you're going to bet, uh, you know, Philly today, there's a huge move in their favor. They're like minus 175 up to minus 215. Uh, big, big steam. We have seen so far this year, if you're a home favorite of minus 200 or more, you're winning 70% of the time. You're producing a little bit of return on investment, 93 and 39 overall. Uh, but here's the key. Bet trust, not bet to win. That means you're not, if you're betting Philly tonight, you're not risking 2.2 units to win one. You're just risking your one unit, trying to get about a half unit back. Uh, to me, the, the advantage here is Wheeler going up against Corbin. Wheeler's been great. 
Corbin's ERA is around six. Also, uh, no Trey Turner. I don't think he's going to play tonight. He left last game early with some uh, COVID concerns. He's one of their best players aside from Soto. He could be out. Good move to Philly. I'd be looking at Philly here. And the uh, struggles for Patrick Corbin have absolutely returned. It looks like he got it right kind of in June, but now back to what he was in April and May. Zach Wheeler, if it wasn't for DeGrom, the numbers on Zach Wheeler, he absolutely should be an NL Cy Young candidate. So uh, I wouldn't be against Josh here on, on the Washington or the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. They're the comer team right now in the NL East. Did you guys see that Bryce Harper inside the Parker yesterday? Caught me off guard. That was so sick. Yeah, Sorry, I know that's that like the Bettys don't play. care about that, but it was a cool highlight. No, uh, Las Vegans that listen to our program absolutely care about that. Of course, the Las Vegas native, that being Mr. Harper. Yep, no question. I would say Stormy, too. Free agency day. Stormy, how are your nights looking? A lot going on today. <laughs> a not, lot different than they did at the end of the not season. Not nearly enough time to get into, unfortunately. But thanks so much for the time, Josh. We appreciate you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Good Josh. luck today. Again, that's Josh Applebaum with us, VEASAN Sports Betting Reporter. Give him a follow at Josh underscore insights. That's going to do it for us on the Lombardi line today. But I think we got into just about everything we could have wanted to. And uh, Michael Lombardi will be back with us on the show. Thank you to Wes Reynolds and Stephanie Kamershack. I'm Stormy Bonantoni. See you tomorrow. You heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max.